0: What do you know about wisdom? Only what's said in Proverbs. Okay. What's 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 said in Proverbs? I don't know. <laughs> Ma'am. Yes, sir. The Texas accent really makes it, it really sells it. Northeast Texas, baby, Mount Pleasant. She said Northeast Texas, baby, Mount Pleasant. Let's go. Who is wiser out of Yoda or Gandalf? Gandalf. And when he gets
1: killed, he comes back even better. Yoda came back as a stinking baby.
0: Baby Yoda don't know anything! You're giving advice to all those older people out there.
1: Don't be too judgmental, because the younger generation is experiencing things we have never gone through. And they are trying, and it's up to us to lead and be the example in Christ.
0: I love that. (laughs) If you had to tell your parents, give your parents some wisdom, what would you give them? Like, what would you tell them for advice? Follow the Bible. Follow the Bible, I love it. Got any wisdom for all those married people out there? Just keep loving on God. Ooh, to all those married couples out there, what's your advice, what's your wisdom for them? Pizza. Pizza, that's actually a great advice. Husbands, pizza is the answer. What is the wisest, and I mean, the wisest church someone could go to in this area? Hope Fellowship. Hope Fellowship. Oh, man, we didn't even tell them to say that, guys. I promise you, we had nothing to do with it. It's just a great church, all right?
1: Well, good morning, gang. I'm so excited to see every one of you here, and those of you joining us online, thank you so much for tuning in. If we haven't had the opportunity to meet yet, my name is Robert. I am the campus pastor here at our Frisco East Campus and if Maybe you haven't been here for a while, or maybe it's been unclear what my role looks like as the campus pastor. Um, as the campus pastor, it is my joy, it is my privilege to lead the Fristo East Campus and be your pastor. John McKenzie is our lead pastor. He oversees all of Hope Fellowship, all of its campuses. He's our primary communicator. He's our lead pastor, as we say. But I get to be here with you guys. I get to lead the team here on the ground and the programs that we have. And it is uh, like one of the, my favorite things that I get to do. But as part of that, three to four times a year, I get to join you on this stage and bring the message, bring the sermon to you so that Pastor John can have some time to refresh, to relax, to grow himself, to go visit other campuses, whatever he needs. And so that is what I get to do this weekend. And I'm so excited because we are actually in the middle of our summer series on wisdom and we are taking uh, three of the wisdom books in the Bible and we are walking through them this summer. In fact, week one, we started in the book of Proverbs talking about the pursuit of wisdom and what a life that pursues wisdom looks like. Week two, we talk about relational wisdom and inviting people into your life to speak hard truths. Uh, The third week, we talked about words of wisdom and how our words have power, both positively and negatively, and how to use those well. Week four, everybody's favorite, we talked about money and wisdom and what it looks like to be wise in our finances. We're talking about generosity and giving and spending and saving and what all of that looks like. Last week, we changed gears a little bit and jumped into the book of Ecclesiastes, Pastor John kind of gave us this really broad overview of Solomon and this book, and his sermon was influence plus decision equals direction. And for us, the subtitle was, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. The idea of who you invite into your life to influence you is going to lead you down a path, whether that's healthy or unhealthy. This week, I'm super excited because we are diving into the book of Ecclesiastes and talking about living wisdom. And the reason that I am so excited about this week is because for me, Ecclesiastes is a very important book. Um, this is a book that I have always related to, that when I have read it in my life, I've always gotten something incredible out of it. In fact, it has shaped me and who I am as a pastor, as a father, as, uh, as a spouse, as a husband, as a human. It has shaped me. Um, but I hesitate in telling you that a little bit Because uh, Ecclesiastes is also a very dark book. Like if you really look at it and you read it and you don't fully grasp every little element of it, it can feel very dark, very unhealthy, because it is Solomon coming from an unhealthy place in the beginning. But Solomon, the reason I love it so much, is Solomon is literally taking his life. He's at the very end of his life, and it's like he's ripping pages out of his journal and holding up this picture of his life and saying, hey, it, it didn't work out like I had planned, but you can still learn a ton from it. And I think we get that idea of life not always working out or looking like the picture that we have in our mind. Like, I think you and I understand that. I mean, from little things like going on Amazon and finding that perfect shirt or that perfect dress or that perfect pair of pants and ordering it and it getting to your door two days later and then you go to try it on and it's like 14 sizes too small like like we get that or maybe in your life like there's this moment or event that you had looked so forward to and like you had built it up in your mind and it just didn't work out for you like you thought it should like maybe it's that first holiday as a married couple like that first christmas for me and my wife like we had one of these moments Like we are at Walmart and we're shopping for Christmas and buying presents for everybody and getting decorations and buying wrapping paper and all that. And I throw some wrapping paper that I think is is really cool into uh, the the shopping cart. And the next thing I know, me and my wife are having, well we'll we'll call it an elevated discussion. Like, Like we have a little fight there in Walmart and I can't figure out what's going on. Why? All I did was I... I grab Scooby-Doo wrapping paper, and I put it in the cart, and I I can't figure it out, and we get into the car to go home, and like she's in tears, and we start talking about it, and I realize she had this incredible picture in her mind of what Christmas was going to look like and the tree and all of the presents that are just right and wrapped so beautifully and all matching and all coordinating, and my dumb Scooby-Doo wrapping paper did not match the picture she had in her mind. Maybe for you, it was that, that first big dinner that you were planning for, for your family, and they were coming to your house. We're talking the in laws and your parents and the extended family, and you, you had like this Norman Rockwell picture in your mind of everybody smiling and around the table and this 40 pound turkey and all of the things. And like, like, it didn't work out that way. Like, the turkey came out of the oven and it was like smoking and gross looking on the outside, but on the inside, it was like an iceberg. And, like, all, none of the sides turned out, nobody liked them, and maybe you made this incredible dessert, and you're like, oh, finally, something's going right, but the dog, like, when you turn your back, gets it, or kids are fighting, or the next thing you know, you got to take somebody to the hospital to get stitches, like, like, you had this incredible picture in your mind, and it just didn't work out. Or maybe it's something deeper, like, like if we were to, to be really honest, maybe it's something deeper in our lives, that we, we had drawn up this picture, and it just, it's not working out. Maybe it's that career. 17, 18 years old, I I find it comical that we are trying to figure out what we want to do in our lives. What what thing do we want to jump into to bring us meaning and purpose? And we, we pick out this career path, and we go to college. And then after college, we have this degree, and we're like, perfect, I'm on the way. And then we try to get that first job in our career and find out that, man, it's harder than you thought. And maybe if you're even lucky enough to get into that career that you had wanted, you had these grand ambitions of being in that big corner office and being that titan of industry and making an impact in this company or in the world and, and being looked up to and then 10, 20, 30, 40 years later you find yourself still crawling your way up into maybe middle management. And This thing that you thought would be, bring meaning to your life you, you look at it and it's like man, it's not what I anticipated. Maybe it's Maybe it's your marriage even maybe you had this fairy tale this this Hollywood picture in your mind of this you completely complete me moment and when you get married it's all going to be right and like four minutes after the honeymoon's over you're like oh this takes work even even there are times where you thought maybe I'd never be lonely again and you're like I'm sitting on this couch right next to my spouse and I Never felt more lonely. What happened? The picture in my mind of this completion just didn't happen. Or maybe even something like having children. You're know, like, it's going to be so incredible, and the legacy I can leave, and I'm going to be like the perfect mom or dad that maybe I didn't have, and I'm going to be the Instagram mom or dad that everybody envies. And like, the reality is, right now, you're like happy if you know, you feed them and you don't send them to live with somebody else. Like, like the picture in your mind just doesn't match up sometimes with what reality throws our way. So Solomon has taken his life here in Ecclesiastes, and he's holding it up for us to see. And just like all of these things in our minds that don't always line up, Solomon's life doesn't line up with what you'd expect either. Like the Bible literally refers to him as the wisest man who has ever lived. Like that's what God said about him. The wisest man who had ever lived. One of the wealthiest men to also ever to have lived. And if we're to get something out of what he says, if we are to to really understand life, let's look at what the wisest man says about life. He starts in Ecclesiastes 1, verse 1 and says, These are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. Like, if I told you you were going to learn a lesson from the wisest man on earth, do you think it would start with, everything's meaningless? And you're like, man, bro, you you came on strong there, like out the gate. But I think it's so important for us to really understand what Solomon is saying And why he's saying it. And to really get the picture that he's drawing for each and every one of us. In fact, at the very end of this book in chapter 12, he literally talks about how he chooses his words very carefully to teach us this lesson. So with that in mind, I want us to make sure that we're looking at what Solomon is saying, every word, and really understanding it in its depth. Because we look right here at this word "meaningless." And in our narrow understanding, we think we understand what he's saying. But I don't think we really have an idea. You see, this word meaningless actually in Hebrew is the word havel, havel. And in English, we translate this a few ways. We say meaningless or we say vanity or we say nonsense. There's a handful of ways that it can be translated in our modern English language. The problem is with that, is that misses truly what Solomon is trying to say here. And if you, don't, if you don't know this, English is a terrible language. Like, English is a hollow language that lacks sometimes a lot of depth and meaning. If, if, if you've known somebody or if you are somebody where English is your second language, sometimes it's even hard to grasp because we don't even always have enough words to express what we mean. And I can give you a great example. I love Torchy's tacos. I love my wife. Hopefully, the word love means two different things in those sentences. But that's English for you. So to really understand Havel, to really understand what Solomon is saying here, we're going to rewind this a little bit. We're going to take it back to what it really means, the picture, the image that the word chavel means in Hebrew during his time, And actually what it means is, yes, it means meaningless, but it also means a vapor, a mist, or a breath, but not just in a descriptive way. This is actually more of an action. And actually what Solomon is saying here is everything is like trying to grasp at a breath or a vapor or a mist. And for us, it's this picture that I really want you to to, kind of see in your mind. He's painting this picture of, have you, ever, have you ever walked out on a foggy day? Or, or you've been out in somewhere that's not Texas and 110 all the time where, where there's actually climate changes? And you walk out and it's, you can see the mist of a new day, that dense fog right in front of you. Like you can see it. It's real. It's there. Like you can even feel it on your skin. You can see your breath on a crisp morning. Have you ever tried were you ever as a kid tried to reach out and grab that? You tried to reach out and grab that fog, but when you'd open your hand, what would be there? Nothing. This is the picture Solomon is trying to get us to, to see. That so many things in our lives are like grasping after a vapor. So many things in our lives that we try to find meaning and purpose and fulfillment and completeness in are meaningless as in trying to grasp after a vapor. In fact, he takes us on this incredible journey through all different kinds of things in our lives. He starts in Ecclesiastes 1 or 2 talking about the futility of living. And he actually comes to this realization of things being Havel because he explores wisdom and knowledge. He's actually reflecting on himself in this moment going, wait a minute, I'm known as the wisest, the smartest man. God has literally blessed me with wisdom and knowledge and yet so many times it's like grasping after vapor. But he literally is saying that sometimes you know the right thing to do and sometimes you make the right choice but the results aren't always what you expect. Like how many of us have been there? Like we've done the right thing and we expect that we're going to get the good result, but often it so many times ends up in a way we didn't expect. And so if this if this doesn't have any guarantees, then for Solomon, it lacked that meaning he was looking for in it. It was Havel. So he literally goes on this pursuit of so many different things, trying to find meaning, trying to find fulfillment, trying to find completion, and he dives into those things headfirst. And he decides he's going to explore them as far as he can take them. In fact, he jumps into the very next thing, and like any red-blooded male would, he's like, well, if that doesn't make sense and I can't find meaning there, let me go explore pleasure. And literally, it says that he denied himself nothing in life. And let me just say, he had the means to do that. It's like he lived one endless party, throwing feast after feast and party after party. It was endless. And again, I said he denied himself nothing and he's going to explore pleasure as far as he can take it. The Bible literally tells us the dude ends up with 700 wives and 300 concubines. Now, I'm just, as a side note, like... When you have 700 wives, like, why in the world do you need 300 girlfriends? Like, what can't you do with 700 wives that you can do with 300 girlfriends? And if you know the answer to that, please don't answer that. Like, this is like you need an even thousand thing here. Like, Solomon, what's going on? But I want you to get the picture that he denied himself nothing. He tried to find as much meaning and purpose and pleasure as he could. You know what he ended up deciding? This, too, was meaningless. This, too, was Havel. Why? Because if you live one endless party, then all of it just ends up being normal. It's not a party, it's dinner. It's not a feast, it's lunch. The highs wear off, and the, the extreme excitement that you thought you had at the beginning that, that spiced up your life is a diminishing return. And in the end, none of it was fulfilling. So he said, "I'm going to do the next thing. I'm going to jump into something else." Then, so he jumps into building and creating and work, and he became a workaholic, creating a massive empire of things. It says that he built palaces and buildings and monuments. It says that he built the greatest garden known to man at the time. He said he planted vineyards and created, and he looked over all of these things. But do you know what he decided? That The more meaning he tried to find in it, the less he actually found. That the work never ended. Like, the projects kept coming. He would finish one only to start another. And no matter what he built... Give it enough time, somebody else was going to build a bigger or a better one. That it too was Havel. So he says, Fine, I'm going, to, I'm going to jump in as this king, and I'm going to talk about and lean into my status, and I'm going to lean into my success and my popularity, and I'm going to lean into my power to make a difference here on this planet. And so history books tell us that, that, that literal kings and queens of other kingdoms would leave their kingdom to come and to sit, to learn, and to ask for Solomon's wisdom and guidance. And he, I mean, he was known around the world and did his best to make good decisions as a good king. But ultimately, you know what Solomon found out? That ultimately things like success and popularity... They're like the McRib. They're here today and they're gone tomorrow. But all those people that were coming to learn from him, the reality is is they wanted to come and displace him. Like everybody loves the king when he's making these great decisions, but if he made one bad decision, they would want to overthrow him. Havel. So he said, fine, then I'm going to amass as much wealth as I can And I'm going to lean into my legacy that I'm leaving. But one day he looks over this pile of money. Some scholars believe he may have had more money in his possession than the rest of the world combined at that time. And he realized oh man, I thought I was going to find fulfillment and purpose and meaning in this. But it's too like grasping after a vapor. I work so hard to gather all this and I'm not even gonna get to experience it. Doesn't matter if I'm leaving it to my kid for this incredible legacy, I have zero guarantee and control with what they're gonna do with it. And even if I leave this incredible legacy for for the next generation, not only do I not have control over what decisions they make and how they spend it or what they do or good or bad, I definitely have zero reference on the generations to follow. And so Solomon looks at all of these things in his life and in many of our lives that we try to find meaning inside of, and he ultimately comes to this realization that, man, it's like trying to grasp after vapors. That if I'm trying to find my meaning, my fulfillment, my completeness in those things, I can see it, and it's like I can feel it, but when I go to grasp it, it's just not really there. Why? See, chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes, you see Solomon coming to this, this moment of clarity. He realized that there's rhythms to life. There are good days, and there are bad days. There are days where we're on top of the world, and there are days where we're mourning and grieving, and that the only guarantee in life only guarantee in life is time and death. Like in the end, that's it. And I know what you're thinking right now. Like, Robert, this is a super encouraging message. <laughs> like, we come to hope, and like we normally leave encouraged and inspired, and I don't know what to tell you. John's on vacation. I'm here. You get what you get. <laughs> now the reality is, though, that Solomon comes to this conclusion and has this moment of clarity, and if we too really understand it the way that Solomon came to understand it after this, after this, then our lives can take on meaning like, like you'd never anticipate. Like he says in Ecclesiastes 3 and 11, and this for me has been a life verse. This has been a verse I've come back to over and over and over again. This is a verse for me that has gotten me through some dark times and some times where I'm feeling like I'm on top of the world. He says this. He says, yet God has made everything beautiful in its own time. Pause right there. This is right after the guy says everything is meaningless and everything that you're trying to find com- like, fulfillment in is meaningless. And he goes, oh, yes, but everything is beautiful. And you're like, which is it, man? <laughs> like, What's going on here? But he goes on to say this. He says, he has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. You see, Solomon starting to realize in his life, in the picture of his life, that yes, there's seasons of things, and good and the bad happen to each and every one of us, but ultimately that God has a plan, and we might not understand it. We can't see the beginning or the end. We might not understand it. There's beauty to be found in it. And that inside of all of us, he's placed this drive, this need, this desire for something eternal. And so actually Solomon now goes back through all of these things that he's been trying to find meaning in. And he spends the rest of Ecclesiastes, chapters 4 through 11, kind of marching back through them. And while he's doing it, he's still expressing how all of these things can lack meaning, but we can get something incredible, and we can experience something incredible out of it by living in wisdom. In fact, he he takes and he actually starts with this idea of work again, building and creating, and he talks about how you can be lazy or you can be a hard worker, but it's wise to be a hard worker because ultimately you can find a gift of God in that and find happiness in your work. He goes on to talk about how our lives, like they're they're, they're an onslaught sometimes, like they're never ending. It's busy all the time. But like, like we have these spaces where we can enjoy a quiet life. And like, even though he's, he's talked about how popularity and success and all of these different things man, they're, they're futile and they seem empty so many times, he actually starts encouraging us to seek after deep friendships and companionships. Like we use this, this little little chunk of scripture in a lot of weddings and we talk about how a, a, a strand or a cord of three strands is not easily broken and we, we compare that to marriage and I just want you to know that's, that's not like found in the love chapter of the Bible. That's here in Solomon Uh, In Ecclesiastes, talking about deep friendships and how necessary they are. He goes on to talk about how we should enjoy our spouse. I want to pause right there because I made a lot of jokes right there. And I'm going to keep this PG. But he means what you think he means there. But also I want to point out, the dude that has 700 wives and 300 girlfriends says, Enjoy your spouse singular, like not your spouse and your girlfriend, like not your spouse and your boyfriend, like enjoy your spouse, that marriage is tough, but when you have and you find goodness inside of it, you should lean in and enjoy your spouse. He goes on to say you should learn and practice wisdom, even though he started this whole discussion by saying, man, it's meaningless. He says, no, 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 that puts you on the right path of life. You should also enjoy the wealth that you have. Like sure, in here he literally talks about investing and making sure that you save and making sure that you're generous, but he takes time to literally say, hey, enjoy your wealth from time to time. He goes on to even spend a large period of time talking about the happiness in health that we should have while we have it he talks about how we should experience our world and while we still have eyes to see go see the beauty of it and while we still have ears to experience the joys of music and sound and we should use our legs while we can to 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 go and to explore and to see new places and do new things and he leans in heavily talking about to to use our, our our health and find happiness in it while we can He goes on to even talk about how no matter where we find ourselves, whatever our lot in life is, whatever hand we've been dealt, that we need to find contentment in that lot. Whether we find ourselves a king or a servant, that contentment can be found in it. Not just that we should be content, but we can be content. And actually, over and over and over again in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon encourages us to enjoy life and to have fun because it is a gift from God, he says. Now I'm looking at this and there's a couple things that have jumped out to me. Like, number one, I grew up mostly in the church and went to a lot of different churches and like this side, like this is not any sermon that I really ever heard in life. Like I don't remember the pastor going, point one, enjoy your life. Point two, have fun. Like, I don't remember any of this. But here is Solomon, the wisest man to ever have lived, going, hey, you want to know some wisdom? Enjoy life while you can. Have some fun with it. And I know you're looking at it and you're going, man, what? Is going on here? Like, because this side of the screen and this side of the screen, it's essentially the same thing, but Solomon is pulling out like something different, something unique out of it that he didn't have before. One side he's saying, Man, it's it's pointless. The other side he's saying, No, no, do the right thing because you will find happiness and joy and all of these things in it. So so what's the difference? It's that moment of clarity he had in Ecclesiastes 3. See, Solomon realized he has planted eternity in the human heart. He has planted this need, this drive, this desire to find meaning and purpose and fulfillment and completeness inside of something that is eternal, not temporary. And for us in life, so many times we're trying to find all of those things in something that's temporary. In our work, in our relationships, in our status, in our marriages, we're trying desperately to grasp onto meaning and purpose and completeness in something that is never meant fulfill that need, that drive, that desire for eternity. Not that these things are bad, not that these things are evil, not that these things are somehow not good. It's that they were never meant to take that place into your heart, into your life. But the good news of this is that Solomon kind of gives us at the very end his conclusion. He gives us this idea of, okay, if, if it's not those things, then what is it? And it's, uh, it's a pretty obvious answer. Hopefully you know where we're going with this, but Ecclesiastes 12, this is how he ends his entire book. This is, again, basically his journal about his life. As he looks back at the end, he goes, everything is meaningless. Everything is havel. It feels like you're grasping after something that's not really there, says the teacher, completely meaningless. He says, keep this in mind. The teacher was considered wise and he taught the people everything he knew. He listened carefully to many proverbs, studying and classifying them. The teacher sought to find just the right words to express truths clearly. The words of the wise are like cattle prods, painful but helpful. Their collected sayings are like a nail-studded stick with which a shepherd drives the sheep. He's literally taking a moment to say, hey, wise words sometimes they hurt but they help move us in the right direction they hurt but sometimes we need that little bit of help to go the right way and he says but my child let me give you some further advice he says be careful for writing books is endless and much study wears you out and every kid that's on summer break goes no duh that's why we're on break but this is actually Solomon going I've devoted my whole life to figuring this out. And I've realized the pursuit of wisdom and knowledge is going to be endless. And that's okay. Like, Let's be honest. We're 3,000 years removed from Solomon. We've got millions of more books on what it means to live a good life and to live with wisdom and what wisdom is now for the modern age and all of these other kinds of things. But ultimately, in the end it still breaks down into one final conclusion. 3,000 years ago, today, 3,000 years from now. One conclusion. That's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. You see, Solomon... Solomon realizes that the reason everything feels like grasping onto nothing is because he in his life has tried to place all of these things into a spot that's supposed to give him meaning and purpose. And it's a spot that only God can fulfill. It's only a spot that can be filled with God's purpose in his life. And Solomon realizes so wisely That when we look at it that way, that when we look at it and realize that God should be at the core of who we are, that even when we place God at the core of who we are and we obey his commands, the most God-honoring thing you can do is enjoy the life he gives you. Like, Like those lists were the exact same, guys. They still had work. They still had relationships. You still have work. You still have relationships you have to deal with. The difference is Solomon put God first and told us if we did that, like we get to experience happiness and joy and contentment like we never have before. And you know, I don't know where in Christianity we got this weird idea that somehow like the more spiritual people are the ones who are angry and miserable all the time? Like I remember growing up and and being in, in church and like the mature Christians that everybody looked up to, like they were cranky. And I didn't get that. I was like, follow Jesus, you'll be miserable. Like, what? And I hope, I hope and pray that you come to realize that the story of the Bible is if we put God first, that if we put Him in that right place, and if we live wisely, man, we actually get licensed to enjoy life. In fact, I, I I will say it like this. At the end of this, here's the conclusion. You want to live in wisdom. Number one, you need to obey God. Number two, you need to enjoy life. Like, like that's it. You want to know how I know? Because we have a Bible that's filled with God-directed feasts and parties. We have a God who says over and over and over again that says, man, it's not your sacrifice that I desire, it is your obedience. We have Books of the Bible that actually lean into the joy of what it means to follow God. We've, we have a New Testament where we realize that because of our sin, because of our brokenness, because of our mess, like we deserve punishment, we deserve like hell. We deserve all of these different things, and yet God, our God, looks down and goes, no, 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 that's not, that's not going to be your lot in life. I'm going to send my son to take away that punishment, to give you grace, to give you mercy, to give you love, to give you forgiveness. We have a God who talks over and over and over again about wanting to bless our lives and be that good father in our lives, whether we had one or not. We have a picture of God and the life he desires for us in Jesus. And guess what? I know a lot of us have this weird, twisted, like, look, idea about Jesus in our mind, that he's like this stoic guy who walks around like this all the time with his halo. But you know what I tend to think? I think Jesus was actually a guy who did enjoy life. You want to know how I know? People were attracted to him. The most common accusation of him and his time from religious people were that he was a friend of sinners and prostitutes. People were attracted to him. He had good meals with them he enjoyed spending time with them we've got a story of him with some of his religious followers mary and martha and one of them sitting with him and talking with him and laughing with him and one of them is working themselves to the bone and you know what jesus says this one did the right thing sitting and talking and enjoying man jesus he took a nap in a boat And if you've never taken a nap in a boat, it is like one of the most wonderful things in the world. We have a picture of Jesus who kids flock to. And if there's anything I know about kids is they do not flock to grumpy people. Like so much so that his disciples tried to remove the kids from him. And Jesus is like, nah, man, bring them. And yet somehow, we've created this idea that to be spiritual, and to be holy, and to be wise in our living, that it's it's all about what I can sacrifice, and all I can give up, and kind of have to be miserable all the time. I don't think that's what God wants from us. I think... Order here is important. Like, first obey God, then enjoy life. Like, because this is Frisco. This is North Texas. We got a lot of money, and there's not a lot of things that we deny from ourselves as it is. Like, we try to go enjoy life a lot here. But I think God wants us to enjoy life because when we, when we really enjoy life, and when we really put him first— And when we have those pictures of those things in our minds that don't always work out like we originally thought they should our perspective on them is so different your career might not be what you planned and i'm not saying you should stay in a miserable career that makes you cranky but if you find yourself and you know that you know that you know you where god wants you it becomes a lot easier then to enjoy that station in your life and look for why he has you there like he might have you where you're at right now because he wants you to notice the guy next to you who needs somebody to take him out give him a good meal and laugh with him and cry with him and talk to him about how good God has been in your life Like, yeah, marriage can be tough. Sometimes you walk through some dark parts of it. But after you walk through those dark parts of it, if you're really following and obeying God, it gives you permission to really enjoy your marriage. This isn't some prosperity thing either where I'm saying, say yes to Jesus and everything is always good. Like, no, no, no. Solomon's very clear on that. You're going to have bad days. But in those bad days, if you really obey, if you really follow God, they're going to be tough and they're going to be dark, but it doesn't rock you so much to the core that you walk away from him. And when the season changes and the good days come again, it gives you permission to lean in and enjoy, have a good meal with friends, to laugh, to go on that vacation not permanently go on vacation and skip church all the time, but to go on that vacation and enjoy it. And even if the family event doesn't work out like you planned and some kid's getting stitches in their head and the turkey's burned and whatever, and you sit back and you look and you're like, man, I've got a family around me and I can pour into this next generation and tell them how good God is. How? By living it. I want you so desperately to see and to understand that, man, we should put God first. We should obey him because that drive inside of us for eternity is only fulfilled by him. But once we find meaning in him, once we find our purpose in him, once we find our completeness in him, and it frees us up to really enjoy our lives. But it all starts with first obeying God. And so I want every head bowed and every eye closed in this place. You see, Ecclesiastes 3 and 11, he's placed eternity in the hearts of men. And so many of us in life have tried to find that completeness and that meaning and other things only to come up disappointed. The reality is, is God has built us to desire Him, to desire His goodness. God has built us to say yes to Jesus and to follow His leading. That's what we ultimately want in our lives. So today, if you're in this place and you've never, like, given your life over to God and let him lead and guide. You've never obeyed him. You've never said yes to him, however you want to describe it. But you want to give that a shot. You want to say, yeah, life has been disappointing in a lot of ways, but I'm going to say yes to him and I'm going to follow God's leading. I want to pray for you. So if that's you in this place, and you want to say yes to Jesus and yes to God, would you quickly and quietly just raise up your hand so I know who I'm praying for and with. Is there anybody in this place? Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. You can put your hands down. You don't have to hold them up. I'm going to pray to close this out. I've kept you here a little bit longer than normal. But as I do, in your own way, I want to invite you to commit your heart to God. To commit to following Him. To every day saying, yes, God, I'm going to seek you for purpose. And Heavenly Father, God, I just come to you right now and Lord, I just want to thank you. And God, to thank you for being this incredible God who really does love and cares for us and some incredible ways. God, you loved us so much that you looked down on our brokenness and our mess and our junk and our sinful nature and our pushing away of you. You looked down and said, no, I'm going to fix that. And in your love and your grace and your mercy, you sent your son Jesus to each and every one of us to forgive us, to cleanse us, to give us that mercy, to fix that broken relationship that we have with you. You did all of the work and all we have to do is say yes. And God, I cannot even begin to thank you for that. I can't even begin to thank you for the desire you have to bless each and every one of us, to give us a purpose and a plan to to care for us like a, a good father does. And Lord, I know that doesn't mean every day is going to be easy. In fact, we know there are going to be dark days. We know that we're going to experience pain and loss, and we're going to grieve and mourn, and we're going to cry. But God, we know that there are also days that you're going to give us that are going to be exciting, that are going to be happy, that we get to walk out of this place, out of this building, and just experience the goodness, the gift that you've given us. God, help us to do that. But help us to remember first that starts with saying yes to you, to obeying you each and every day. And for anybody in this room who maybe for the first time is committing their life to you, God, I just ask that you you would reveal yourself to them in such a way that there's no denying that you are real and that you love them. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.